Let's begin and ask the Lord to uh, give us hearts that are open to his truth. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We're in need of your mercy and grace. We're in need of you to give us hearts that are open to your truth. We're in need of your understanding, your wisdom. We ask that you would uh, teach us this morning and uh, draw us close to yourself. And may we, be, we, may we be entirely in love with our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Uh, may, you, uh, may you open our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're discussing union with Christ. R.C. Sproul says this about our union with Christ. It is a mystical union. By mystical, we do not mean fairy tales. It has to do with mystery. Mystical union has to do with mystery. In other words, it's dealing with something that we don't understand or completely understand. Sproul says this, it is beyond our ability to express in normal circumstances or in normal categories. It's like discussing the triune God or the incarnation when God became man. Those are mystical issues in the sense that they're a mystery. We can't completely understand it. There is much that we do not understand. But there is much that we can understand And so we need to explore what we can understand about these issues. Sproul, I'm going to throw this in here just uh, just because it's at the beginning. But Sproul also um, discusses the Greek language um, and says this. There are two prepositions, both of which can be translated with the word in, I-N, in English. Um, There's... There's the word in Greek that means in or inside, and there's another word that means into. Whenever the New Testament calls on us to believe on the Lord Jesus, it normally uses the word into. Believe into Christ, not just something about him, but believing into him. Entering into Once you are inside Christ, you are in. It's putting all your hope and trust in him. We're trusting in him. Last week, the main theme of what we talked about was uh, what is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And I'm reading that verse. This was our theme last week. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive. And we looked into Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And last week we concluded with Romans 5, 20 and 21, and I'm going to reread those verses because we're going to proceed from there on into chapter 6. And I must say today I'm drawing heavily from um, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, a Bible teacher, a Scottish man, 
who has, I think, served in the United States for a long time. Romans 5, 20 and 21. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we discussed how we were in Adam and now have been transferred by faith in Jesus Christ. We've been transferred to a state of being in Christ. We had a representative that represented all of mankind, Adam. He fell, and we all fell in him, in our representative. We are now in another representative, one that God has provided specifically to save us. That is Jesus Christ, who became one with us. And in him, we have pardon, we have redemption, we have righteousness, his own righteousness imputed to us. And we talked about that last week. Right now, we're briefly going to go right on into Romans chapter 6. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a tough issue. This is a, I would say it's rather mystical <laughs> because we just don't fully understand everything that's in here. In here. Um, you know, um, Mar um, Martin Lloyd-Jones had trouble here. And he wanted to understand Romans 6 before he even did a commentary on Romans. Uh, so I'm going in here with a bit of fear and trepidation. But um, anyway, we can understand a little bit of, of, of what is being said. And uh, we're, we're going to, uh, and I'm greatly indebted to Sinclair Ferguson in uh, helping to explain this. Romans 6, 1 to 3. If you have your Bible, we can, you can uh, turn there. Um, I'm going to read the first three verses. What shall we say then? Now, this is Paul coming right out of chapter 5, where he talks about that, that grace covers us. So he's, he asks, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Why does Paul use baptism here and not some other analogy? And uh, Ferguson says this, and I'll throw this out at you and you can uh, chew on it a while. He says, baptism is a naming ceremony. I never thought of that. We were in Adam, we're now in Christ. We're in Christ people, not in Adam people, in Christ people. It is the triune God into which we are named in Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't internally do anything. That is the ceremony, the water. But it is a ceremony representing an internal change whereby our names are changed from in Adam to in Christ. So he calls it a naming ceremony. It says or pictures what internally has happened. Christ is mine and I am his. Christ's righteousness 
replacing Adam's sin. So Paul, when he goes from chapter 5 to chapter 6, he's, he's, he's dealing with people who say, hey, now, you know, if we're in Christ, we can just now sin freely. And he says, how is that possible? Impossible. You've been changed. This is an exclamation that comes from his soul. It's an emotional response. His affections had been so overwhelmed with what God had done that this was his response when God's grace was impugned, that is, badly treated. We want to grasp our union with Christ with our whole heart and not our, just our head. We don't want to remain in Adam, even mentally. We want, to, we want to realize what we have in Christ and love him with all our heart. We need gospel instincts and affections and emotions driven by the fact that we live life in union with Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, Paul is saying, haven't you yet grasped what it means to be baptized? Baptism serves to draw our eyes to Jesus Christ and what we have become in him. I am united to Jesus Christ throughout my whole life, from dawn to dusk, as I sleep, even when I die, I'm in him. Paul's whole life has been brought into Jesus Christ. His whole life is drinking from Christ. It is immersed in Christ. And baptism expresses that union with Christ. And Paul says in verse 2, Romans 6, 2, How shall we who died to sin, and when did, when did we die to sin? When Christ died. You know, we became sinners when Adam sinned. In Christ, when he died, we died. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We who died to sin, how can we ever dream of continuing in sin? This is what, a, what becoming a Christian means. This is who we are. You've been, we've been removed from Adam, from his guilt and the dominion of sin, and we've been placed into Jesus Christ. We have died to sin and been raised up. And we need to think of ourselves in that way. This is what has happened. At the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, I've, I've often wondered, I've thought about that, you know, why, why did Jesus go and be baptized? Uh, what was going on here? I mean, this was a, John's baptism was a baptism of sinners, a baptism of repentance from sin. Why would Jesus go and be baptized? Well, I'll just tell you what uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, and you can think on this a little bit, too. At the Jordan, Jesus was baptized into us, identified with sinners, in order that, through the cross, we could be baptized into him. So he identified with us, joined us in our sin, taking on our sin so that he would die for our sin so that we could be baptized into him. 
baptized into the name of the sinner so that all that is mine is his. And I've been baptized into him so that all that is his is mine forever. All his righteousness is mine. Everything Christ did for us is ours because we've been baptized into his name. Of course, this is a spiritual issue, a spiritual thing that took place in our lives, but this is what water baptism symbolizes and expresses. If you know who you are in Christ, you would not contemplate living in sin. You have a new nationality. You are no longer in Adam. You're a new creation. You belong to the kingdom of God now. Our our citizenship does not depend on how we feel, but what has happened, what has happened to us. You've been transferred from darkness to light, raised to newness of life. And Paul goes on explaining in chapter 6, He says in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. So Paul talks about our old man and our body of sin. The old man is what I was in Adam. All I am under the wrath of God because of Adam's sin, which was my sin. All I was in Adam is brought to an end. Only the in Christ man remains. Our old man was crucified with Christ. In order that our body of sin, what is the body of sin? It's the body as characterized by the dominion of sin. Later in chapter 7, verse 24, Paul is going to, uh, shows that he desires to be delivered from this body of death. This body under sin is no longer under that dominion. Sin is still here. It's still here and influences me. But we are body and soul united to Christ. Our whole person living in this body is no longer under the dominion of sin. We can fight back. We don't have to surrender to sin. It is a war. The reign of sin is finished, even though the effects and presence of sin will remain until the redemption of our body. At that point, we will receive resurrection bodies. Paul is speaking of sin as dominion. Sin is no longer the master. We do not have to obey sin. Verses 8, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
And then in verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to pretend to expound all this. Uh, I'm just dealing mainly with the issue of union with Christ. But let this be our considered standing of who we are. This is who we are. We're in Christ. You are someone in Christ brought to life in him. Our problem in doing this, considering ourselves dead to sin, is that we still have a tremendous struggle against it within us. For some reason, in God's own economy of things, we are no longer in Adam, but in Christ. But our body still awaits its redemption. This is the issue, and this is the trouble that we face internally. It's a war. Romans 8.23 says, We're eagerly waiting for our, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. But our representative has died. Breaking the dominion of sin, its authority, and now lives to God. So Paul exhorts us. He says, because this is true about you. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. You aren't under its reign, so don't let it reign. Don't let it dictate to you. Romans 6.13 says, And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You belong to Christ. Give all to him. And, then, uh, and be sanctified in him. Trusting in him. Then verse 14 for sin, Paul says, shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. That means that sin has no more claim upon us. John MacArthur says, The Christian is no longer under the condemnation of God's law, but is now under the redeeming power of his grace. And it is in the power of that grace that the Lord calls the Christian to live. We are called to live trusting in Him, trusting in His grace. We are in a war. We are in a life of repentance, constant repentance. We can resist through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave Romans 6 now, and um, we're going to shift our view to another aspect, and that is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read from uh, uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. It says, Paul knew a man in Christ. Paul speaks of knowing a man in Christ. This is when he was transported to the third heaven. And he says, I knew a man in Christ. He's speaking of himself. But he says, I knew a man in Christ. He's always referring to his union with Christ. Do we think of ourselves as fundamentally as being in Christ? 
Who are you? Do we normally think of ourselves, well, I'm an in Christ person. <laughs> Paul is always talking that way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And people concentrate on the new creation, and they don't think much of the in Christ part. This is what Sinclair Ferguson says. We think of ourselves as Christians, but not as in Christ. Christian, the word Christian, is only used three times in the New Testament. Actually, in the singular, it's used twice and once in the plural. It's normally considered to be a pejorative term, a negative term, you know, not a positive thing, a Christian in the, in the New Testament. People in those days probably did not use that term to describe themselves, is what Ferguson says. Few today would fundamentally think of themselves as being united to Christ, as being in Christ. But biblically, that's our description. We're in Christ people. Over 200 times Paul uses that or similar words to describe us. That's who we are. We have this identity of being in Christ. It's a great identity. We're going to see that more and more, especially next week when we discuss some very heavy issues that relate to this. We are taken out of the old order, the old family, in Adam, now we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. A new order, a new family. If you're a believer, you are in Christ. And these are the fundamentals. You know, often we need to get back to the fundamentals. And this is the fundamentals. And this is something that, you know, even in my own life, I, I, this has not been emphasized. Uh, and that's why this is all rather intriguing and new to me uh, and you know it's kind of a wonder that I'm even presenting it to you uh, because I, I haven't really thought about this issue and uh, quite possibly you haven't either. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson gave an illustration. Uh, he gave a book to his boy called Golf My Way, G-O-L-F, the, the sport golf, by Jack Nicholas. At the beginning of every tour season, Nicholas would leave Ohio and go to Florida where he would meet his golf coach. When they met, he would take a golf club with him and say to his coach, please teach me to play golf. He meant make sure that the fundamentals are in place. And that's an excellent lesson for us, too. We need to get the fundamentals right. We need to know what union with Christ is all about, because that is the fundamentals. Grasping what it means to be in Christ enables us to learn how to live the Christian life. Union with, union with Christ is our entry into a multidimensional world. Um, MacArthur at one point says that in Adam, it's all one-dimensional, dead. Death. That's it. Death. In Christ, it's multidimensional. It's life. 
And life is tremendous variety and, and full of hope. Um, Ferguson lists a number of um, dimensions, and one is the eternal dimension. I'm not going to deal with that right here. I'm going to deal with that next week, the eternal dimension. That is before time, <laughs> if we can even speak that way. I don't know how to speak about before the beginning. But anyway, we'll deal with that next week. He also speaks of the federal dimension. That is the representative dimension that we've already been discussing. And it's anchored in the Lord Jesus. He took our flesh to be our representative. He lived his life till the ascension in our nature. He united himself with us in our human nature in a fallen world. And he undid what Adam did. And we've discussed that in Romans chapter 5, 12 to 21. We dealt with that last week. Christ became one of us so that where Adam had failed, and we all failed and died, he could be joined to us in an incarnate man and provide us with all we need for life and salvation. As one of us, he became our representative, and we believe into him. Uh, there's also the spiritual dimension. When Jesus left, he said he would send the Holy Spirit to us. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, showing Jesus to us. Jesus said he would take of mine and show it to you. And that's what the Spirit does. He brings us to the point that we believe into Christ. He changes our hearts so that we repent and we turn to Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that, whom the Father and the Son sent to be with us. As you believe into Christ, you will find all you need. New life, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and ultimately glorification. And we'll deal with some of that next week. All is in Jesus Christ for us. Our need is to flee from ourselves into Christ Find in him an ocean of grace that's sufficient for all our needs. And he will bring us ultimately into his eternal presence. So, you know, we tend to forget who we are, what our nationality is. That we are in Christ Jesus. That we have a special citizenship and we serve a new master. It is the consciousness of our identity that gives the life that we live the atmosphere of the kingdom to which we belong. This is a quote from Ferguson. The consciousness of our identity gives the life that we live the atmosphere of the kingdom to which we belong. In other words, what he's saying is we need to be thinking about these things. This is to be controlling our hearts and our lives. We need to constantly be aware of who we are. We tend to forget who we are, that we're in Christ Jesus, that we have a special citizenship and we serve a new master. And then there's the, the, um, the, the aspect of this is a mutual relationship with Christ. This is another dimension. 
We're in Christ, but also He is in us. By the indwelling of the Spirit, Jesus comes and dwells in us. And not only that, the Father and the Son. I mean, yeah, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. But not I, but Christ lives in me. And the paradox is, is that we encounter major struggles in our lives as Christians at this point. Christ lives in me, but then, according to Romans 7, 17 and 20, Paul says, sin dwells in me. So we're back to the the war that goes on within our heart. We are delivered in union with Christ from the dominion of sin, but not yet from the presence of sin. There is inside us what the Westminster Confession calls an irreconcilable war that we fight all through this life because we are those in whom this Lord of glory dwells and yet simultaneously sin dwells. That's our problem, isn't it? Yeah. And we all face this. Paul faced it. We face it. But Christ conquered. And in him, we conquer. Our representative conquered. So we are conquerors. Paul says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We need to, we need to think of this issue of our, the, mutual, <clears throat> excuse me, the mutuality of our union with Christ. We need to think of this, uh, in, of being in union with Christ, that not only are we united with him, but he indwells us. He's in us. Have you ever stopped to really grasp that? Jesus, replying to Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, <laughs> Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, that is, my Father and me, will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The Father and the Son make their dwelling in you and me? Yes. I mean, who, who, can, who, can, uh, who can contemplate such a thought? It is through the Spirit of God that the Father and the Son dwell in us. Think of the wonder of it all that God the Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, it, this is why it's a mystical union. We don't understand. We can't, we can't understand it all. Think of the wonder of it all. Let that thought consume us and be a major check on our propensity to sin. Ferguson gives another dimension, and that's the eschatological dimension. That is, what about the future? What does the future hold? We're going to deal with that next week. I want to shift our thinking now to another passage of Scripture. And this is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. 
Now, when we go, you know, when Paul writes a letter, we don't always have the whole picture of what's going on. Uh, he, he deals with issues and doesn't always state what the issue was, uh, but he gives the answer, and you have to sort of, you have to, um, you know, try to figure out why he's answering the way he does. It's not always clear. But there was false teaching coming into the church of Colossae. There was false teaching in the church or coming into the church. And he thinks, Ferguson thinks, that this is what the false teachers were saying, kind of a general uh, concept of what the, the false teaching was. The gospel is okay, but don't you find that the Christian life isn't all it's cracked up to be and all you hope for? Oh, it's great to trust in Christ, but there's other things that you need to consider so you can have the real fullness of everything. There are spiritual laws that you need to follow if you want fullness of life. There are things that you need to avoid eating, <laughs> you know, and uh, just different ceremonies you need to go through, observe certain days. This is the way to fullness. So there's false teaching that was coming in, and Paul's dealing with that. Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. You have come to fullness in Christ. There is nothing lacking. You need to know all the fullness that is already there in Christ. You haven't understood all the riches that are found in Christ. You need to be rooted and grounded in Christ and walk in Him. Knowing who you are in Christ and knowing who Jesus is for you. And live out of that fullness. I'm going to read verses uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Notice he says raised up with Christ. When were we raised up? In Christ. When he was raised, we were raised. He's our representative. In Adam, when did we sin? When he sinned. In Christ, when, were we, when did we die? When he died. So when he was raised, we were raised. See, that's the way it works with the, the representatives that God has provided. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Now, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to exhaust it by any means, but just brought, bring your attention to a few things. We are so united with Christ. We were united in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, ascension, and our life is hidden with him in God. When he appears, we will appear. In fact, this is so, uh, you know, this is uh, so amazing. The, uh, the, uh, the early fathers of the church, the reformers, you know, that's about 500 years ago or so. Uh, they said, Christ considers himself incomplete without us. Can you imagine? 
Can that be so? Christ considers himself incomplete without us? Now, we really don't believe that. <laughs> He's the second man, the last Adam. Remember that from last week? He's called the second man because he's the second representative. The first representative was Adam. The second representative is called the last Adam, and that is Christ. He's the representative of his people. He is incomplete without us, and we don't think that way naturally. We don't think of ourselves this way. We don't think naturally, but we need to think biblically. <laughs> what does the gospel provide? Paul is saying, if someone wants to know who I am, I'm a man who was crucified with Christ, buried and raised with him. My life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ comes, he will not appear without me. God has said, ask of me, you know, he's God in the Old Testament, said to the Messiah, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And that's what's happened. Father has given the nations to Christ as his inheritance, and that's us. We're the inheritance of Christ. They've been given to Christ. This is what's happened. Now our lives are hidden with Christ in God. In 1 John 3, 2, John had said, we are already the children of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him. When he appears, when Christ appears, we're going to be like him. Now, we do shine in the world, but the world does not know who we are. I mean, we do seek to demonstrate Christ in our lives, but our flesh hides who we really are. Um, this is often called positional truth, but it's really more than that. This is our position, but it should affect the way that we live. This is the truth about us. This is the deepest reality of our life, that we are in Christ. This is not a fiction, and it needs to affect the way that we live. If this is true, Paul says we need to set our minds on it. Look at verse 2 of uh, chapter 3, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Think about these things. Consider who you are, that you're in Christ. We have to think in this way. The new identity in Christ leads to a new mentality. We seek things above. We fill our hearts with devotion to Christ. Um. Ferguson gave an example. He, um, whatever organization he was with, he, he had staff positions to fill. And he would interview people for those positions. And he always asked this question. What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? He was looking for the index of their affections, you know. Where does your mind drift off to? Let it drift to the Lord and his goodness to you. 
Set your mind on things above. That is where your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your affections then will follow. Let our minds drift to the sheer privilege of belonging to Jesus Christ and the blessing of being in him. Paul has taught Christ is our representative. We are united to him. Let our life be fused with thanksgiving and praise to Christ. And I might add, constant repentance is in order. <laughs> yes. John MacArthur says this on Colossians 3.3. Your life has been hidden with Christ and God. The verdict of eternity will reverse the verdicts of time. On that day, it will become apparent who really belongs to the Lord. The Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows who's, who are his. And he will reveal them to the world. And uh, at this point, uh, MacArthur quotes from Lightfoot, and, who says this, The veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, that is the veil of this flesh, you know, people look at you and they can't see any difference between you and anybody else and even partly veils it from yourself, will then be withdrawn. The veil will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores now, will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. John wrote, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. You ever thought about that? We're going to talk about this a little more next week when we deal with the eschatological aspects of being united to Christ. We now have a new identity, new mentality, new sense of destiny. Our identity does not appear, but is hidden now, but it will be brought to light. We will be like Christ on that day. What God, what God has done on our inside will appear on the outside. Right now, it doesn't appear. But then, it will appear. Our outside hasn't been redeemed yet. But it will be redeemed at the resurrection. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. In glory. Yeah, in glory. Can you imagine yourself being in glory? <laughs> That's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Think of what Christ appeared like. That's how we're going to be, like him. We're in him. He is our representative. Though outwardly no one knows we are in Christ, yet by our lives they know something is different. His this is, this is uh, Sinclair's own testimony. Listen to this example. He came to Christ partly through the testimony of a businessman who moved to an office in his home city. This is in Scotland. So this businessman moves into this city, and uh, not a Christian. He goes into this office, and he's, he went through the office getting to know the different departments. He often walked past a department called the typing pool. 
Do you know what that means? To you younger ones, we used to, we older, old codgers, we used to use typewriters. And they would go clickety-clickety-clack, you know, as you type. Um, I learned to type as a junior in high school. Uh, so he goes past the typing pool, and he noticed that there was one typewriter going with a great consistency. He couldn't see who it was, but he could recognize the sound of the typewriter. And it was like a fish hook in his brain. He asked a colleague with some irritation, why is it that this typewriter is always going with the same consistency? And that person replied, well, that's so-and-so, and she's a Christian. So he began to think, what in the world is the relationship of being a Christian? What does that have to do with her, the way she's working? Um, so he got to looking into it. And he came to Christ. And it was through him that Sinclair came to Christ. Yeah. So Sinclair Ferguson, he says, one day, by God's grace, he wants to meet that typist. Her work ethic led to the businessman being saved, and his testimony, in turn, had a part in Sinclair coming to Christ. And they will meet someday. Now we are hidden people, but Christ is in us, and we are in him. This is our identity. Let us be faithful in showing it to a lost world by the way that we live and how we, look, how we work, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. I looked into another man who has taught on the subject of union with Christ, um, and I'm just going to just give you, uh, very briefly, his advice. This is John Piper. He says, this is his suggestion, if you want to know what union with Christ is all about, take a concordance and look up in Christ, in Jesus, in him, in whom. Then read them all, writing down all that you see about the nature of what it means to be in Christ, its cause, its effects, and what it produces. When done, you will have a better grasp on the glories of this biblical truth than you if you read 10 books about it. <laughs> and then he says, but you won't get everything, so go ahead and read the 10 books as well. <laughs> we do learn from each other, you know. And I, I have taken the approach of the 10 books. <laughs> this is the shortcut method, you know. I was given this subject uh, and so, you know, to, to do, to do the, the legwork of going to each verse, you know, would take some time, take quite a bit of time. And I didn't think I had that luxury. And I've just read about what he advised here in my research. By way of application, Ferguson says this, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he would take of mine and reveal it to you. There is an ongoing growth whereby we are trained by the Spirit to understand what we have as a result of union with Christ. So, folks, we're in, in the process of learning what it is. 
to be in union with Christ. And we're growing in that. We will never come to an end of learning what there is in Christ. Christ being, this is, this is my own thought, Christ being God and God being infinite, what do we have in him? We will probably be learning that forever. You know, throughout the ages, eternal, eternity, be learning of what we have in Christ. We live, here, Ferguson says this, we live way below the privileges that we have in Christ. R.C. Sproul says this, The New Testament describes those who have genuine faith as in Christ and Christ in us. There is a spiritual union between all believers and Christ. If I'm in him and you are too, and Christ is in us, what does that mean about our relationship together? A bond of fellowship that we all enjoy with each other. This is a tighter bond than even the bond of biological families that we enjoy in this world. It's also a restraining influence on us. If Christ is in you, then whatever problems I have with you, this union transcends those difficulties. We should get along, shouldn't we? (laughs) If Christ is in you and in me, you know, we have a tremendous bond. And uh, it, ha- it's, it, it, it should affect the way that we get along with each other. We need to be constantly living out who we are in Christ. Next week, I want to deal uh, um, with the same, we're going to deal with the same subject, but we're going to discuss some things that are pretty heavy. Um, uh, and I think you'll find it quite interesting. I found, I've, I found it very interesting. So we'll look into that next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. Lord, thank you for the rich treasure that you have provided for us. You have provided yourself for us. And Lord, we're in the process of learning. And may you ever teach us what we have in Christ. And may we find all our need all our spiritual longings, all our need, may we find it in you. Lord, bless us. Cause us as a church to grow in our love to you and to love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.